you know what? We're not shy. Like, if you want to see how we've done that and you want to copy it or steal it, I think there's too many people that are paranoid about you, someone stealing your content. You know, that's only going to benefit our market if everyone steals our ideas. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby, and my guest today is James Layton. James is the Managing Director of Anderson James Group based in Manchester. As you're about to hear, they are bringing a lot of innovation and creativity to recruitment within the property and construction sectors. If you like hearing about fresh ideas and different ways of partnering with clients, you're gonna really enjoy this episode. Anderson James design and deliver retained recruitment campaigns and programs that not only attract the best talent, but also retain and re-engage existing teams. As a matter of fact, when COVID struck, they launched a new strategic partnerships business, which has grown into three big contract wins, and they've got real momentum this year as they seek to scale the business. All right, James, thanks for being here. Uh, Good morning. How are you? I am awesome. I'm really excited to talk to you. You've uh, done, you know, amazing things during the last 12 months or so during COVID-19, which which I'm excited to to kind of learn about. But um, but let's before we get into that, could you just give a brief like potted history of the business? Yeah, of course. So, um, morning, everyone. My name is James Layton, uh, founder, managing director of Anderson James Group. Um, business set up in 2015. Uh, so first full year was 2016. We actually set the business up as a consultancy business to start with. So we consulted with companies on job descriptions, PR, marketing. We looked at trainee graduate schemes. And the main reason for that was just to get some cash into the business and a monthly retainer. Um, we then, quickly transitioned into a more traditional recruitment business. Uh, first two or three years was heavily retained. So I think we were 65, 70% retained year one, two, three. Um, and as we've scaled and grown over the years, we've probably become less retained. Uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit how, how we've transitioned that in the last 12 months. Right. Amazing. So what's the size and shape of the business as it, as it currently stands? Um, so we're 11 heads. Um, last year we turned over 1.2 million, um, and growing quite heavily. So I think we've hired three people this week that started and we've got one person starting next week. So wow. Congratulations. That's awesome. That's like, what is that? Four, 30% growth, uh, <laughs> yeah. in the last week. That's awesome. Um, so, and, and so remind me, when did the, when did you start the business? Uh, 2015. Wow. Okay. So only five, six years old. Um, and, uh, that's, that's fantastic. So can we just rewind a sec, James, like what motivated you to start the business in the, in the first place? Yeah, well, we've got a mutual connection because you had Kev Redman on the show, I believe. Um, yeah. Um, and I used to work with Kevin, Michael Page, and he probably won't remember this, but I remember us sitting in a bar once and saying, we think recruitment will change forever at some point. And uh, how right we were in terms of five years, 10 years on from that beer in a pub in London, Kev set up his own business, I've set up my own business, and we 
definitely operate differently to the rest of the marketplace. So the motivation for me was I started life in internal recruitment, believe it or not, which is a weird transition. Oh, yeah, um, most people go the opposite way. <laughs> yeah, so I, I managed a really large um, MSP sort of contract for a client. Okay. So I worked for a recruiter, but just on one account. And I think um, some advice that I give to people is if every recruiter spent a little bit of time internally, they'd understand how recruiters are perceived in companies. And, and I think one thing that I learned quite quickly was that the partnership and the way that you operate with companies is, it needs to be absolutely uh, spot on. So when I set up the business, it was to go against the traditional, often adversarial way that recruitment works, work with less companies, but do a much deeper, much more retained partnership-led approach to recruitment. And I think we've done that and, and the business has flourished from having less customers and there's some challenges in that, as I'm sure we'll unpack. Um, but in the main, I think most of our customers would say that we operate in a very partnership model. I love it. I'd like to talk about partnerships uh, in a second. I know it's a big theme for your business and it's something we we share in common. But first, I actually wasn't expecting this because I didn't know that about your background, but could you shed some light on from the other side uh, of the fence? So the, the internal recruiters, talent acquisition folks, you mentioned that actually it was a valuable for you to have that experience to understand how recruiters are perceived. And yeah. so what would you say having been on both sides uh, of the fence, recruiters need to understand about working with their clients and, and how they can make that relationship better. Yeah, I mean, it's probably talked about quite a lot on podcasts. I listen to a lot of podcasts and I think the one thing that recruiters probably know but but still are doing is this spamming mentality of sending CVs to hundreds and hundreds of hiring managers. We used to receive, I work for a billion pound business, we used to receive 50 to 75 CVs a day from recruiters that you just got deleted <laughs> oh straight away. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that back then, I mean, even in 10 years, the, the market's transformed in my opinion because people adding value to the sector now is, in, is unbelievable. And, and if you're not adding value to your customer, I think you're going to get left behind in a transactional way of doing recruitment in the future. Um, the thing that yes. I learned internally as well is that recruiters will never die out. So there's been a cyclical fashion of internal, external, you know, using agencies, using an internal team. But I think what I learned in internal recruitment is you lose your network quite quickly. So over a period mm. of two years, you don't know anyone in the market. So I think the more niche and the more specialist you can become in recruitment, the better it's going to be for you and your career. Mm. Um, I'm not convinced that generalist recruiters will be around in 10 years' time, to be honest. Um, it's going to yeah. be very niche, I think. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's really interesting. And um, what would you say were the the activities or let, let's put it this way, what were the mistakes that recruiters made when they were trying to work with you? And what were the ones who shone through and actually did forge successful partnerships with you? 
Yeah, it's a good question. The ones that seem to focus on quality of process were the ones that generally shone through. And, you know, everyone can get lucky once in a while in terms of the right CV, right moment. I think we built some really strong recruitment partnerships in in that time that I was there. And mainly it was down to good process, met the candidates, done the basics brilliantly. And I talk about this in my team quite a lot is that You've got to do the basics brilliantly before you start doing some of the more advanced stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. Because if you build your recruitment process on shaky foundations, it'll fall apart, won't it, eventually? Mm. Okay, awesome. So let's talk about partnerships then, because um, it's actually... The P in my... I've got a methodology called the impact method. And... Um, the reason I like that as an acronym is that I want to have a bigger impact on the world. I, I think like recruiters have an opportunity. They don't always take it, but they have an opportunity to positively impact people's lives, right? Both the, the yeah, candidates both. who they're, you know, they're placing in positions and accelerating their career, the client companies, you know, helping them to grow and be more competitive. And then the families of all the, you know, both parties and, and so on. Um, yeah. And so I'm really excited about the ripple effect that potentially I can have by helping recruiters to do better and to have a bigger impact. So um, I won't go into detail on this, but essentially I is inbound leads, M is marketing automation, P is partnership, A is authority, C is consistent content, and T is team. And so for me, the partnership aspect is I I just hate the sort of – transactional and and there's fault on both sides obviously the client and the the recruiters um but the sort of adversarial relationship that really doesn't serve anybody's interest not the client not the candidate not the recruiters and yeah. i think we need to definitely move away from that and towards a partnership approach and whether that's retained or you know some something else but where there you are working as a team and in partnership with your, your clients. Um, So how have you embraced that, you know, in in the business and created some of those partnerships? Yeah. So I think um, I'm sure we'll bounce around a little bit, but if we go to COVID um, it's been the, a blessing for our business. It's not been a blessing in terms of what's happened and, and clearly it's had a devastating impact on the country and, and people's lives. But for our business, it's made us think really differently about how we do business with clients. And I think, um, you know, some people, and I saw it in our competition, some people just buried their head in the sand and hopefully this will go away in six months. And we doubled down on our investment in our business. Um, and, We'll come on to tech, I'm sure, but we've, we've invested heavily in tech recently, systems, processes, all the things that we needed. But what we also did is, is launched a brand new model called strategic partnerships, which was to give clients a different way of recruiting. Um, so rather than one-off recruitment fees, which always has worried me in a little in, in some senses that you can walk away from a, a, a process having placed a candidate and have no don't really care whether or not that goes well or not other than your rebate terms. And I've always found that as a problem in recruitment. So the way we've solved that is that we've done now, we've got a traditional sales business that does retain searches on an ad hoc basis, like every other recruitment company. Um, But we've also got a strategic partnerships business that looks at a monthly retainer fee 
to outsource their recruitment function and not just outsource their recruitment function, but to give them dedicated heads for their business. So without getting into the mechanisms of how that works financially, you know, a head will have a particular amount of cost within our business and we'll put a profit margin on top of that head so that from a customer perspective, if their recruitment spend was 500K, we'd be able to give some efficiency to that spend by making it 400K, for example, but give them three or four heads so that they've got an internal recruitment team but that internal recruitment team, which you didn't have when I worked at the likes of Wilmot Dixon, would have LinkedIn recruiter, would have total jobs, the job boards, would have networking strategies, a system, infrastructure, all the things that when you're internal, it's just seen as cost. They don't want to spend that. So what we can do is give economy of scale to the customers that have a strategic partnership because we'll have all that infrastructure in-house so that mm. companies sort of get that internal feel of a recruitment team but they get that external presence in the market. And uh, you mentioned it, uh, marketing and automation. We're starting to automate a lot of their recruitment processes now internally. So we act as their recruitment team, but we behave like an agency in the way that we source candidates and do our process. And I think it's gone down like a, a storm. You know, clients love the service. There's been some teething issues, a lot of volume of roles, as you'd imagine, and trying to get the pricing model has been difficult. But I think as an added value to customers, you know, some customers have had DNI strategies, BAME strategies we've done, uh, apprenticeship schemes during that tenure, we've done graduate programs, and we've really embedded these processes in the businesses. And we're totally accountable for the people that we place into the company. So clearly our metrics in those accounts are around retention, fill rate, the, the longevity of someone in their career, and we'll be there when in 12 months, 18 months time, you know, some of these contracts are three years. So we've got to care. And it's a bit of like preventive maintenance. You take your car in for a service so it doesn't break down fundamentally later down the line. We place the right people. Those roles won't come back to us in the future because those people will be the right people that will stay for the longevity of their career. Um, and I think, you know, that, that, that business has grown from COVID day one. So what was that, the 13th of March to a million pound business, you know, just about now will be a million pound turnover business in the next three months. Wow, um, that is incredible. Doing it differently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that is amazing. And uh, I didn't realize you were doing that. So this is, is it actually a separate company as part of the group or is it's it? It's part of the group. It's part of the group, yeah. but it's set up now. We've got three divisions. So we've got our sales business, our traditional housing business. We've got an executive search business and we've got yeah. the partnerships division, but all okay. sits underneath the Anderson James group banner. Got it. Okay. So, um, like I, I, there's so many things to ask about. I don't even know where to start. So first of all, um, what inspired this idea of the sort of giving the clients an internal f recruiting feel and the benefits to go along with owning that function, but at the same time, the benefits of uh, working with external recruiters and, and kind of um, combining those two things? And th there was three things that stuck out to me. One, no one knew what was going to happen in COVID. So it was about yeah. how do we generate a steady stream of income? I mean, yes. to go back a step, when we talk about our current turnover in our sales business, um, 
it's it's NFI, isn't it? Because they're all permanent recruiters. We don't have any temp. Um, without temp revenue, it was sort of our interim revenue. We're thinking, how are we going to guarantee what's going to happen in the next 12 months? We've no idea. So we set it up from that point of view to give us some stability as a business. Um, when I was an internal recruiter, as I said, um, I think the one thing that stuck out to me is that internal functions are great at process management, but actually recruiting people it's difficult because they generally don't have the tools. The business don't want to invest in those tools. Um, you know, for a recruitment agency, you're going to have LinkedIn. You're going to use LinkedIn. Um, we can sort of keep the recruiters relevant, which is the most important thing. And they've got all the latest methodology of how to source talent. And that was the bit that was missing when I was internal is that we just ran out of ideas. So we ended up just being a, intermediary between hiring managers and recruiters <laughs> um, mm. what this does is combine the two a little bit um yeah and and i think the the third thing for me was around owning what we deliver um and it's really important this accountability piece is something that come mm. up but we've got a dedicated team now that's grown from zero heads to seven heads in the last 12 months and it's a really really easy model to scale up for me um, and uh, when I think about the early days of our business, we made so many mistakes that could have been stopped. I even think I spoke to you at the time. And, you know, when you're a new business starting up in the first 12, 18 months, you just don't want to invest in anything because you just don't know what the ROI is going to be on it. So what you actually do is you create this uh, theory of insanity where you continue to do the same thing over and over and over and over again and think you're going to get a better result <laughs> and <laughs> typically don't get a better result. And and I think we went through thinking, why are trainees not working out? We're giving them plenty of time. We think we're doing a good training plan. We think we've got the right methodology, but it wasn't working for some reason. And, and when I fast forward to last year and we're invest, investing in training, marketing, um, tools such as Audro, video platforms, etc. You sit there and think, why did we not just do this in the first instance? We'd have been much further ahead in our journey now, but it's 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 all learning, isn't it? Amazing. And so um absolutely makes sense this model from the customer's point of view. It I think I can totally see the benefit to them. And for us, we've got, and us being the, the recruiters, you have that stability of recurring revenue that you know what you're, you know, you can, you can project, you can forecast, you know, what's yep. going to be coming in. So that's tremendous. By the way, just for people who aren't aware, NFI stands for net fee income, right? So you're looking at how can we stabilize that in a, permanent recruitment business where you don't have a base of temps contractors interims yeah. or what have you so that's mm -hmm. uh that's absolutely genius especially so was this model always kind of part of the plan or was it kind of inspired by the pandemic and yeah honestly inspired by the pandemic and that's why when i say we did well out of the pandemic in some ways our customers were quite scared they didn't know what they were going to do around recruiting they were losing people they had to know you know, and the, and the big piece for me, and, and it's on our website quite heavily, is a track, recruit, retain, right? It's the end-to-end -end talent management piece. You know, a lot of recruiters spend their time in the attract and the recruit piece, but the retention is so important. And mm. the amount that that does to your EVP as an organization or the, the amount that does to your uh, reputation in the marketplace is, is critical. And, and some of the construction businesses that we operate with or housing businesses, they have turnovers of 40, 50% of their staff each year. Um, wow. And, 
but they, just, they won't fix that unless they try and fix the fundamental root cause. Um, and normally that's poor onboarding. And we, we work on all these things in our consultancy offering within those partnerships is poor onboarding, the way that you attract talent, you know. So from a diversity and inclusion point of view, what are we doing to bring more diverse candidates into the, the marketplace? And how are we inspiring the next generation of talent to come into housing? You know, my my little girl is, I say little girl, 11 now. And she wants to be a YouTube star. I mean, you know, she doesn't, she, she doesn't want to work in housing. And, and I don't think that we're ever going to stop that is that um, she she's never going to be inspired to go and want to work in the housing industry. So we've got to do more as an industry. And, and, and I'm passionate about this. We've got to do more as an industry to start inspiring the early careers to, mm. for people at school, colleges to come through. Otherwise, we're regurgitating the same talent and that talent just moves around the market like every 12, 18 months. You know, you said something about metrics earlier and so many companies look at cost per hire and time to hire, which are, you know, the the early parts of the of the process, but they don't really measure the retention and are we hiring the right mm-hmm. people? Um, and And yet, if you think of the overall cost of recruiting, the cost yeah. of that, like churn is absolutely mind boggling. Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, traditionally uh, we external recruiters don't have any effective way of, of tracking that and, and measuring and influencing that over time. It sounds like you've got, you've now got a way of, of achieving that. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing that we looked at as well when we did this model was what is our retention rate? We talk about it so much that you've got to own the stats, haven't you? And so before this, but before we started launching the partnerships, I had a real good grasp on of all the people we've ever placed since we started the business, how many of them are still occupying those roles? And um, I did it for this podcast because, I mean, the data starts getting a little bit old if you go past beyond 2017, but from 2018, so three-year period to this point, 94% of the people we've placed are still in their roles. And I, and I look at that and think, how how is that possible? And I think it comes down to two simple things is, like I said, the brilliant basics of meeting every candidate, meeting every client, making sure that we're not overselling opportunities to candidates and, you know, squeezing or shoehorning them into a role just so that we get a recruitment fee and actually just having a really good moral compass as a business and believing in the businesses that we work with. And I'm sure those numbers would have been a lot different should we have A, worked with with worse businesses or businesses that we didn't feel passionate about uh, representing Mm -hmm. and B, if we'd have worked with anyone in the market. So when I look at our recruitment spend, and this has been a real downside to our business as well. But when I look at our recruitment spend, it's across 15 to 20 customers. It's not mm-hmm. across hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. It's across 20 customers. And mm-hmm. we'll have good spend in those 20 customers. Um, but it means that we're not taking out of one customer and giving to another and doing all that sharky sort of recruitment behavior that exists mm-hmm. out there. We are absolutely living and breathing their values and representing them in the right way, I think. Amazing. Um, so d- let me just tr- understand. So the um, the turnover figure you gave me at the beginning, is that for the whole group or is that just for your, um, like, how does that break down? Well, that for, for last year's numbers in terms of um, up until March this year, it's a, it's a 1.2 million pounds. I think okay. when... 
we put partnerships in, which is a recurring monthly amount, that'll yes. be much higher, obviously, next year. Yeah. So I'd expect that we'll do somewhere in the region of 50 to 60% year-on-year growth this year. But it's wow. just the way the year's fallen, I would have said. I understand. Amazing. And you grew 30%, 35% during COVID, where most recruiting firms were contracting by at least 35%, if not, yeah. you know, 50. I, from what I can see, a lot of people contracted by 30, 40% and some a lot more, some were like, you know, 50% down compared to the year before. And you did the opposite. So the net difference actually is more like 70% growth, really. Yeah. You think of it and, that and we're way. lucky. What I'd say, Mark, is we're really lucky. And I always feel pretty blessed in our marketplace that the government closed down the housing industry for about three weeks. So yeah. we... Um, I remember, I mean, the, the beginning of March last year, it still gives me nightmares now where all of our placements were dropping out every single day. There was another placement dropping out. So we had the same challenge as others, but our market recovered much more. I've got friends that work in hospitality recruitment and they've been yeah. obliterated by what's happened. And, and yeah. um, I feel quite lucky that our market didn't have that, but I feel quite mm-hmm. sad that there's other industries that got hit really, really hard, didn't they? For sure. For sure. And look, that part is luck. No question that you were in an industry (laughs) that, you know, that bounced back quickly. But there are also things that you did during COVID to stay relevant and add value to your your market. Could you describe some of those things? Yeah. So, as I said, um, we used we only used furlough for a month. Um, I thought we would have to use it for much longer when March hit, but we used furlough for a month. Um, while people were on furlough, we did extensive online training. So we brought in a training company to help um, build some of those that, that talent because I, at the time I believed that that was the only thing you're allowed to do with anyone that was on furlough. Yes. Um, and so, so we heavily invested in training. We heavily invested in technology. So we changed our CRM system. My non-exec director hates the fact that we did this because he said the one thing you should never change is your, <laughs> is your CRM. But it was the right time for us to, to, to change to Vincherry, um, which has been a revelation. We invested in Oddraw. I got a non-executive chairman. We did... Um, I've never done one, but I did a business plan for Anderson James five years on and I'm doing business plans, but I spent a lot of time writing a, the next three year plan. And that was quite good because when the guys came back off furlough and, and people came back from the team, we were able to announce that and to present that and say, look, this is where we're heading. This is the journey. This is the vision. Here's all these new shiny tools that we want you to use <laughs> that are going to help you be a better version of yourself from a recruitment perspective. Amazing. And, I, and we did the, um, we did a webinar series. We've really, really doubled down on the investment. And mm. I, I actually weirdly feel like we wouldn't have done any of the things that we've achieved if we hadn't spent some money to really invest in getting our infrastructure right. Um, Amazing. So you invested in the people, you invested in the technology, you invested in marketing. Um, and so I, I'd like to to look at each of those things, but the overall theme I'm hearing, James, is that this whole pandemic, as horrible as that, like the health consequences and the economic consequences, um, you know, you wouldn't wish that on on anybody. Uh, On the other hand, it sounds like in many ways, it was a massive opportunity for you guys that had it not happened, and I'm the same in my business, had this not happened, I 
would not, I was forced to innovate and do things that yeah. I might never have gotten there. Like if things <laughs> were just doing okay, I might have just continued kind of, you know, growing a little bit each year and kind of coasting along instead of being forced to really completely reinvent the business and, and which ultimately will mean I'm in a much better place uh, once the dust settles. Yeah, I agreed. Um, and th- there was some big life events or I'm reading a book at the moment called Good to Great, which is a great book about how yeah, Jim the good and the great companies, yeah, yeah, become separated. And what's interesting, <laughs> I'm only, you know, 100 pages into it, but what's really interesting about that is we were just stuck in a bit of a rut but didn't know it. We thought we were doing really yeah. well. We were sat there, 25% year-on-year growth. We thought we were doing really well. Yeah, And then when the pandemic hit, it really gave us a time for reflection. And I think reflection is really important because when you run a recruitment business, it is 15 hours a day, just work, 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 work and see where it takes you. And I think you lose sight of any sort of vision. But me and my business partner decided to separate in March of uh, 2020, the pandemic hit. And we've been having some, um, we're, we're really, really close, but we've been having some problems around lifestyle versus growth business. Um, mm, and I'm sure this is yeah. a typical thing that comes up in recruitment quite a lot is that we were both very, very strong, very good, high-performing recruiters when we were at Michael Page. However, yeah. he loves the recruitment process. I want to scale a business up. And, and that was pulling apart quite often. And mm. if the pandemic taught us anything is that, you know, family is very important and all the things that come with that and work-life balance. If you want to run a lifestyle business, you can do very, very well and you can be very successful. But if you want to scale a business, it's a very different uh, proposition. So yes, we, we separated in March and that was a real light bulb moment for me of either I want to scale or I want a lifestyle business. I don't want something in the middle. And I think... yeah me and Andrew were probably stuck in right in the middle of a lifestyle and a growth business. Um, and so it's allowed us to now really, really start to look at what does this look like? How can we get it to this point? And what does that mean for our staff? Because if you don't grow a business, when you get to 10 heads, what happens is you have high performing recruiters that have no path for progression. It's all good and yes. well talking about it, but there's no progression yes. point for them. So um, exactly. No, so that's, that's totally true. So, um, how, I mean, that must've been really difficult. How did you realize that you had different visions for what you wanted and then, you know, achieve that in a way that had the least impact on the team and the customers? Yeah. So we, uh, two things. One, we knew that already. I think COVID was the catalyst okay. to that. And right. and I think we're both uh, respected in our respective markets, but um, he works more in the Midlands and I was always in the North and the team was in the North. So the team was heavily centered around the Manchester office. Whereas, so it was quite easy to, to come to that decision. It was quite easy to execute that decision. It was just COVID probably just give us the nudge to say, do you know what? Let's have a think about this. We've both done really well. We've, we've built a really good business and we can both still go off and be as successful as we are and do the things that we want to do. Um, and I think we both agreed that, you know, life's too short to do something that you're not really enjoying. Um, and we'd both lost our mojo a little bit without realizing it in different reasons. I was being pulled back as, you know, let's make it a lifestyle business. And he was being pulled to do a, a growth business. And and I think the right decisions happened. He's really happy. He does an amazing, like he's got an amazing reputation and he's one of the good guys in the market. So it's all good. Great. 
All right. Awesome. It had a happy ending. That's probably <laughs> unusual for this type of story. I imagine so. so. Yeah, 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 I imagine so. so. Well done. Well done. Before I go to my next question, I'd like to share one of the keys to my success in recruitment and in business. You may have noticed that a lot of the people I interview on this show have a coach. That's not a coincidence. Most high achievers have a coach, including me. I've worked with various coaches over the last 20 years, and it's been a huge factor in my own personal and business growth. Here's why. Sometimes it's hard to see the forest for the trees, and it really helps to take a step back and look at how you can improve the business and get a fresh outside perspective from someone who's bringing new ideas and insights to the table. Plus, as a business owner, who is holding you accountable and helping you stay on track? So I want to encourage you, if you're not already working with a coach, get one. It doesn't have to be me. There are plenty of amazing coaches out there. Just find someone who you believe will add measurable value to your business and can help you get to the next level. If you do want to explore a coaching relationship with me, then you're welcome to apply for a free 30-minute strategy session at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. This is not a sales call. My number one objective is to help you to get clear on your goals, identify the roadblocks that are holding you back, and create a strategic plan to increase your billings and grow your business. I promise you'll leave our session feeling focused, re-energized, and excited to take your business to the next level. You can apply at www.recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. Listen, I, I often, people tell me, like when I ask them what their vision is for the business, and this is a big question mark is they don't really know, do I want to scale or do I want to just, you know, have a lifestyle business? But it is a totally different path, really, in terms of what is required um, to be successful. And sometimes people do have that kind of middle, like they think, well, I don't want to get too big. I just want to like, if we could have you know, five, 10 people, um, you know, nothing too big, just sort of boutique. And I say to them, look, I think that's a mistake. I think, um, you know, if you're going to get to 10 people, the problem is that growth creates opportunity. How are you going to attract and retain the best people if there's no yeah. career path for them? Right. And if it's a flat structure, everyone reports into you or, you know, you've got, a couple of teams and maybe a team leader for each, then once they like, they're going to hit a ceiling where they can't progress. Absolutely. And then Absolutely. what's going to happen? They're either going to leave or they're going to set up on their own or, or whatever. So like, if you are going to grow and I mean, it's not an easy path for sure. It's, it's, it's the harder option I would say, but you may as well go for it and like, just see how far we can take this thing. Right. Exactly. And I think that the, the important bit and for anyone listening that is at that point that I'm probably at now, I think the key bit is to move, remove yourself from being a billing head. I mean, that's the right. best thing I've done in the last 12 months is that I don't now have a revenue target. I don't do any revenue. It's all done through the team. And and we've had to invest in a leadership team. Like I brought a, a chap called Rick Ollerton, who's my ops director, and Steph, who's our client solutions director, and they run their businesses now. We don't have to. Um, they'd run without me now, and that's where it needs to be so that I can mm. focus on marketing, automation. How do we look at content management? How do we look at, you know, bringing our brand in line with what we want our vision to be? Um, yes. And that... I've never had time for that. <laughs> well, absolutely, James. It's that whole, you know, thing of working in the business versus working on the business, right? And, yeah. you know, if, if you're that one, two, three, four, five person business, you're so busy just 
working in the business is really hard to carve out the time to work yeah. on the business and do the strategic part and, and focus on growth. So what was the trigger? Like, what was the point for you when you were able to stop running a desk and, and carrying a target yourself? Like, what, how did you know it was the right time to do that? Yeah, I, I still keep in touch with clients. You know, I've got some long-standing client relationships, but um, believe it or not, again, COVID, since COVID, I've not built anything. I've not had a, a revenue target. I pass any jobs that I pick up to the team. And we've got a system now that I think works quite well where we've got a trusted leadership team, you know. They know what they're doing. They've got their strategies. They know where their next hires are coming. They've got a business plan that we're working to. And I think just removing myself from that naturally it just happened it was there was too much going on through covid for us to not be doing that in terms of all this implementation of new systems processes odro game changer you know we we've just automated one of our clients entire blue collar recruitment we don't do blue collar recruitment we only do white collar but we've allowed them to automate their entire recruitment at a transactional level um, wow! Through email marketing, through Odd Draw, through a, a few different tools, yeah. You know, a candidate now receives a video saying, "Why would you work for us?" It gives them an overview of the role. It then gives them an opportunity to interview themselves for that role. It then, and it's all sort of automated through either bots or through video platforms or through marketing. And I think the more work we do around that, it's becoming more and more relevant that actually you've got to somehow storyboard the candidate journey through video um, so that people Ah. are engaged. Because I still don't believe that if someone sent me an email with a, please see attached a link for you to do your own interview, that I would actually apply for that role. (laughs) But I think if you show them a video of this is someone doing that job and this is how they find working for our business and here's some of the good bits... I don't know. Maybe, maybe I would. So we're, we're, we're currently tracking the performance of that model at the moment. Amazing. So, uh, let's talk about your, your technology for a second. Then I want to look at marketing. So you mentioned Vincherry. I know the, I know Eloise. In fact, she's going to come on the podcast, uh, sometime yeah. in the next couple of weeks. Um, then you've got Audro, which is video interviewing platform, right? Uh, mm-hmm. and they're all, they're based in Scotland, coincidentally, as, as am I. Um, yeah. and like, what are some of the other key components to your, that allows you to, to automate and run, you know, this, this candidate experience? Um, I mean, the, the big tools that a recruiter gets now, regardless of level that joins our business, they get Audro, LinkedIn, Vincherry, and I mean, Vincherry for me and Odro are changing the way that recruitment works. In my opinion, it's becoming much more that if you've ever used it, that slack feel of, of how yeah. you do business together. Um, and with them working together <laughs> quite heavily in terms of the tech businesses, I think it's so heavily integrated eventually that you'll go and you'll log onto one platform and everything you need will be there. Um, but I think, um, the one thing that, you know, from a recruitment perspective in our business, embedding these tools is much more difficult than buying them. <laughs> you know, right. actually plugging them in is, is one thing. I think from a, and embedding them into the business, they've got to feel the benefit and the candidate's got to feel the benefit. And then, but when we've introduced them to clients and this is where the confidence comes and the automation of the candidate piece, 
they, they, and I mean, they love it. They absolutely love these tools. Um, you know, with Vincherry's live list where clients can just keep logging on and off if you've got multiple jobs and see what's going on on the platform at mm. any one time. And then us getting the analytics to say they've been online again to look at the candidates that you've submitted. It's all just really, really, really insightful so that you can mm. make better decisions through data. Um, and then, you know, as, as we'll probably talk about, but trying to use some MarTech to automate some of your marketing platforms is going to be key, I think, in the future, isn't it? And, and making that Definitely. inbound marketing work for businesses is key for me. Yeah, absolutely. So let's come on to marketing then. What, well, before we talk about MarTech, you did a webinar series during COVID. Can you explain how and why you did that? Yeah. So, um, I see a lot of case studies and I said to my team once, I was like, I'm sick of seeing case studies, like case studies everywhere, aren't there? And I said, the best way for us to do a case study is to actually show the world what we're doing through a webinar. So rather than just like write a written format of a, a case study, we created events around things that we'd fixed in, in terms of problems within businesses. So for example, mm-hmm. the latest one that we've done was around a BAME recruitment strategy that we that we wrote for one of our clients. We didn't just write it, we totally embedded it in their business. Um, and we got the client and us and all the key stakeholders on a call and just showed the market exactly what it is that we'd done. And I think that transparency to go, do you know what? We're not shy. Like if you want to see how we've done that and you want to copy it or steal it, I think there's too many people that are paranoid about you, someone stealing your content. You know, that's only going to benefit our market if everyone steals our ideas. <laughs> so why would you not share that content? So we did that event. There was 190 people to the BAME one. There was 500 to the previous one. Um, and they were really, really targeted. We didn't want to just get the numbers and say we've got 2,000 people coming to our event and they're all random. Yes. They were absolutely target market personas that we created previously that we wanted yes. to speak to. Um, and as a result of that, obviously, the phone doesn't stop ringing now for BAME strategy documents. Now, wow. it's not something that we want to do necessarily <laughs> um, day in, day out, but it's a really good conversation starter. Really good conversations. Totally. R- remind me what BAME stands for. It's black and F. Um, what oh, does it stand for again? Yeah, so black, uh, Asian, minority, ethnic. Okay, got it. So, so it's, it's part different- of a... Yeah, it's the different DNI characteristics piece. of groups, yeah, and DNI piece, yeah. So I think okay. it's important that they, um, especially in the housing market, um, mm-hmm. clearly you've got a problem where other housing businesses don't have diverse candidates at board level, and it's specifically at senior leadership, this. Um, yes. So when they go out to recruit, obviously they struggle to find candidates from a BAME background because there are none in other organisations similarly. So the whole strategy piece is around how do we create through trainee schemes, through apprenticeship programs, through other industries, how do we create more diverse communities within our businesses? Because the companies or people that uh, these businesses serve have diverse communities and it's got to be representative of that community. Yes. Amazing. You know, I built my business on webinars. That was like my key strategy for, and this is going back uh, I don't know, 12 years or something. Uh, and in fact, it was the last recession that yeah. really stimulated me to, uh, look at inbound marketing and digital marketing. And because my business like fell off a cliff in 2008, yeah. 2009. And then, um, 
I used webinars to start building a, an audience and then, uh, it, you know, getting people into my, uh, marketing funnel essentially so that I can then follow up with them and nurture, but it was through providing content education, like basically yeah. like free training, which was on the issues and the problems that my market was experiencing that I had some solutions for. And then that led to people coming on board as, as customers. So it's a brilliant strategy. I don't know why more recruiters don't use it. I, I with my inner circle coaching clients, I'm helping a few people to, you know, launch their own uh, webinars. And, and it's just such a great way because when people register for your webinar, they have to fill in a form, obviously. Right. And so you can yep. see, um, a, it's a, it's a, it's a lead generation tool, but also Absolutely. when they're on your webinar and you're just adding value and giving, you know, free advice essentially and sharing. And it's kind of like you're inducing the law of reciprocity because you are not asking for any money. You're not asking for anything in return. You're just giving. Then that's going to come back to you, right? Because people will see yeah. like, wow, these guys really know their stuff. They um, also, they get a feel of your culture and your, like the personality of your business and and what you stand yeah. for, your values, um, and so it really positions you head and shoulders above everyone else. So what has been the impact of that initiative for, for you guys? I think, uh, and, and I've always, uh, Michael Page do this really well and other businesses, but being a thought leader in your market is important, right? So yeah. actually whether or not those people convert or not, being honest with you, it really doesn't bother me necessarily it's about okay. giving value to the market that we operate in you know there's plenty of customers out there there's plenty of clients that want to work with us um and the more value we can add and the more education as you've said yourself the more education you can give to those customers the better our market will be in the future the better our market will be the better we'll all flourish so it's all in a roundabout way works i think um the benefit from the the direct benefit from the webinar has just been to be able to connect with people that we would never otherwise connect with, you know? Yes. Um, and we've had chief executives reach out to us. We've had people that uh, you, you just wouldn't, I don't know, you just would never actually reach out to have come and said, can we have a conversation about this? So the meetings from the first webinar we did, I think was almost 50 to 60 meetings on the back of it. Wow. It's just just target audience, right persona, the right people in the room talking about things that are going to solve issues within our market. It's great. Exactly. Exactly. You know, especially where I started really emphasizing this during COVID was there, there was a point where it was almost inappropriate to like make a sales call and sort of say, Hey, you know, do you have any jobs or whatever? (laughs) Because it just would have not. I mean, that's not necessarily the right approach anyway, but especially when people are being furloughed and laid off, right? So, you know, the key was how can you still communicate with your market and bring something, have a reason for the call or a reason to reach out to them and something to offer them that might help them through this. And Mm -hmm. um, so that you're, you're not just calling to do business with them. Right. And, uh, it was almost like another reason to be in regular communication. So, yeah. And I think, I think the big thing is, is as, as I said to one of my team the other day is we, I put a post out and when you say why do recruiters not do it? It's because 
they don't see the benefit and the consistency you need to create content all the time. Yeah. Feels like a difficult thing. Um, but we yeah. put a post out the other day and had 20,000 views. And you think if you was to stand 20,000 people outside and say, you can, <laughs> communicate, to this, you can communicate to these 20,000 people with your message, you'd be like, wow, that's great. Or you can get on the phone and ring 10 clients that day and have 10 conversations. Why would you not do it? But I think it always comes down to that time and that consistency and poor planning. And I think if people saw the benefits that you see from doing a webinar, doing a podcast, doing some of the stuff that we do online, they'd probably never ring someone and do a cold call again, (laughs) to be honest. Um, But it's just educating the market of that, isn't it? I suppose. It's the consistency is the the absolute key because if people do something once they post something on LinkedIn and they go oh, I didn't get anything out of that well okay keep doing it every day or three times a week for three months and then decide like is this are we getting traction with this or or not um, but yeah. uh, for sure I mean if you think the effort now by the way I'm kind of a believer in it's not either or. Like it's both. We still need a telephone. We still need outbound. But it's so much easier when you're also doing inbound marketing at the same time. Um, And the thing that surprised me, Mark, with it was it's the lead up and the the after the event as well. It's not the actual event itself. It becomes irrelevant at some point. It's about having those conversations up front. What do you think about this subject? How do you feel you know, um, for example, we're doing one around um, modern methods of construction. Like, how do you think that's going to impact this marketplace? And you're having 20 times better conversations with your customers or prospective customers. And they might not come to the event, but you've already opened the door to talk about something. And they think these guys are different. There's something different about them. Um, yes. And that's been the biggest change for me is that the sales guys are equipped with better content, better things to talk to customers about rather than... absolutely. How, How's your structure? Have you got any jobs? Is there anything going on in your business that we can help you with? It's it's becoming yes. probably offensive almost to do that now. Well, it, it, absolutely. Like if you can equip your sales team with that content becomes ammunition. A, they are become market experts in their niche, right? And B, yeah. they have other things to talk about with clients that demonstrate that you guys are you know, the, 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 the leaders in your space. And also in terms of nurture, like how often do you call someone and they, they're not ready to hire anyone right now. And then you're like, okay, well, I'll call you in three months. Well, that's not going to work. But what if you say, uh, you know, Hey, I, uh, would you be interested? We have, we recently did this webinar about this, this, or this. Would you like to see it? I'll send you the the recording. Yeah, of course. And then you've got ways to follow up um, in a non-salesy, non-intrusive way that mean that you can get much closer to that client so that when they are ready yeah. to go into a hiring mode, then you're like top of their list. Absolutely. Yeah. It's been, it's been an eye opener and, and another event coming out soon and podcast to launch. And, and there's going to be quite a lot of just content, 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 content. And, and at the time, and I can understand why leaders don't do it. You know, we, we've invested a lot of our turnover into marketing. So I believe, and you know, it's like the book, isn't it? The compound effect. You know, if people want an instant result from anything in recruitment, they're absolutely wasting their time. You know, it's a long term. viewpoint and I think there's nothing different with marketing you're not going to get traction on the first post second post third post 
keep going, keep going, keep going. And, and you do start to see some traction. So. Yeah. And it's not that you're not going to get traction because you might, you know, yeah. you might get lucky, right. And get some quick wins from that. But it's the key is not to get discouraged if you don't get that instant, you know, win from it. Um, because it is a, it's definitely a, a longer term thing. Um, so yeah. how, what Hellas have you guys invested in, in marketing for your business then? Um, we've got, um, a couple of different agencies. We've got a creative agency because I'm obsessed with making things look good when they go out the door. So, you know, yes. rather than this word document with a logo in the top right hand corner when we write a proposal, I want to make sure that our sales guys have got the right proposals, the right sales decks, the right information. So that's one yes. retainer that we pay for. And then we've got an inbound marketing company that do all of our inbound marketing from a okay. uh, campaign management. They do all of the email campaigns, et cetera, et cetera. But we've just hired a brand and marketing director as well that's going to come and work with us to uh, and the main thing here is that with us doing the strategic partnership business, it probably needs a rebrand into its own business entirety because yeah it detracts from what the other side of the business does sometimes because of the types of roles that they recruit in that business. So we're currently about to go through a brand refresh um, just to make sure that we align those brands. We're not going to recreate new companies, just mini brands within the AJ group. Mm, amazing. Yeah. My, um, I, I've got a friend, Greg Savage, who you might know who has been on the podcast yeah. before. He's, he's going to be back as well in a, in a, a few weeks. Um, and he says, like, if you have a five person recruitment business, your next hire should be a marketing person, um, rather than another recruiter or another salesperson, because they're going to, totally. they're going to, um, leverage everybody else and help everybody else to up, up level their, their billings. I totally agree. And, and I've always felt that marketing, <laughs> Even training when, when, when you're in your early parts of your recruitment career and setting up a business, you think everything just looks like a cost. You know, everything just looks like a cost. Whereas what you don't realize is for every pound you invest, provided there's an ROI on that pound, keep investing, keep investing, keep investing. And, you know, we've had some poor investments. We've had some good investments. You just mm-hmm. got to keep trialing things until you get the right formula for your business, I think. Absolutely. Um there was one more thing I wanted to ask you. Um, I know in our pre previous correspondence, you mentioned like we talked about what were some of the big challenges and you mentioned that you had uh, a few companies going bust on you. Could you just speak on that briefly? Yeah. So um, uh, 2018, we had a client that went out of business and we work in a market where it's quite volatile for that happening. Um, so businesses yeah go out of business and they'll set up as a as a new company six months down the line but we had one uh 2018 so we'd have been two years in and it wiped out everything we had so at that moment they uh they ordered 250k we had i can't i can't remember i I think we probably had 50 to 100,000 in the bank at that time and it was like E, this could be the end of our business. And I remember we had a Regis office at the time and I remember avoiding the lady that wanted us to pay our bill because I was thinking they've just taken all of my money. <laughs> so, um, and we had to, 
really, and, and, and one thing that I think is really key for someone is when you're a startup, you gravitate to a business that gives you lots of rev- revenue. So rather yes. than going trying to win new work and new businesses, you just go, oh, these are giving us plenty of jobs. Let's carry on. Let's carry on. And you build up this massive war chest of revenue in one business. If that business turns the tap off or doesn't pay you or something goes wrong, it can have a really adverse effect because not only did we lose the 250000 and didn't have any revenue because it had all been wiped out, we didn't have any other customers at the time either. We were just sat in one business doing all their recruitment for them. Um, and that was a big, a big wake up call because I mean, on the day that happened, it was like the wall street crash in, in our business that day, because I had two new starters looking at me like, James, what's going on? And I was thinking we've just had a business called bust on us. Um, and it's not, it's not just the money, all the candidates we placed, they lost their jobs. And there was a massive, massive ripple effect of, of that happening. Um, and we had to knuckle down. And, and I think one thing that that adversity showed me, which is probably a good thing now looking back is that when COVID happened, I felt totally calm, you know, rather than panic and panic and panic. I was like, been here before i've had all my web revenue wiped out once before and i've got the tools and the ammunition this time to be able to fight against it um yes. and like other like other businesses you know um the ones that pivoted or certainly i'm not particularly like the word pivot but the ones that changed the strategy and covid are the ones that seem to be flourishing today um the ones that just kept banging the head against a brick wall all the time seem to still be doing that now and trying to work out what this new market's going to look like. Um, we go up against quite some of the big exec search firms and we've won a few roles off them recently, which is unheard of. And they're global businesses, but they're still trying to force this meeting person agenda and, you know, all the same things that they've always done. And I believe that they'll get left behind eventually if they don't change the way they do business. Um, yeah. Because what COVID's done is leveled the playing field for me. You could have a business in the Isle of Skye in Scotland, couldn't you? And you could work anywhere in the world now because yeah. te- te- technology has leveled that playing field and the barrier to entry is so low now. You can meet every candidate online. You can meet every client online. So I think it's made the, the recruitment market interesting for growth because geographies are no longer a barri- barrier to entry. Absolutely. Um, um, so th- looking back to 2018 and that massive lost like 250k wiped wiped out of your accounts um and the cash flow impact and then also not having other business like to to fall back on how did you recover from that and what did you learn from that um i mean the obvious learn was not to put all your eggs in one basket in the sense of the customer base um what i learned personally is um a big lesson on and I, and I advise a couple of startups now of, of friends that have set up their own recruitment businesses. And I say to them, be careful, don't hire staff until you're ready, until you've got the money in the bank and you know you've got a runway of cash. And one thing that I learned on that day was um, pretty faithfully is got to make sure that you've every decision has some calculation in it. You know, have I got six months worth of salaries in the bank? Have we got enough revenue coming in regularly to make this higher? Because you should, especially with with, with um, trainees, I think you've got to be able to say six to nine months of time, really, to really invest in their career. Have you yeah. got that in the bank? So if nothing else comes in today, have we got enough revenue 
in our bank account to be able to sustain that salary for, for nine months. And yes. people just kid themselves. And I was one of these people uh, back in the day. I, I kidded myself that, oh, it'll be okay. Someone can come on board and bill in a month. And it never happens, does it? It never actually does what you think it's going to do. <laughs> Absolutely. It's interesting because I uh, interviewed a guy called Joe Slenning and he has scaled recruiting firms before and sold them. And he mm-hmm. said, very similar. Like I asked him, what was the trigger point for hiring? And he said, we need to know we could pay them for 12 months, like in the bank. And then we would, we would hire someone. And, um, which seems very conservative in many ways. Uh, but then you just, you know, if you sell like crazy and make sure you build up your, your cash reserves. Um, well, and, and, and that's why I'd encourage people, and I'm sure companies out there do this anyway, but I was always told at Michael Page that make sure that your temp revenue covers your overhead and your perm yeah. revenue is your profit. And yeah. this is what stuck with me when I set up the strategic partnerships business is that we can scale at the moment because our partnerships business, which is contracted till 2022, uh, yes. at the end of 2022, covers our overhead. So if we want to really? make a hire, we can. And we've... yes. We're not uh, going to put ourselves in any major danger at this stage. So, so. but okay. So, he, one of the learns from that experience was obviously not having your eggs all in one basket, but also choosing the right um, eggs or baskets. I don't know which it is. Yeah, but yeah. Like with <laughs> yeah, this partnership yeah. model, how do you know that you're getting to bed with the right partner? Well, and it's it's a really good question. Um, the the current three strategic partnerships that we have are businesses that we've worked for for a long time. So ah, clearly, they so were you've easier dated to win. before you got married. Yeah, exactly. And and would I get in? Uh, would I do that with someone that we've not worked with before? Probably not. And nor would they want to. You know, there's there's a um, try before you buy mentality to actually how does this work as a marriage before we move in together? And I yes. think. Um, the clients that we work with are good. The, the, the problem exists that, um, you know, none of those, when you go back and you do lessons learned on some of the situations where businesses go bust, and we've had three, but the biggest one was in 2018, you look at it and think, do you know what? We could have never seen that coming. It just happened overnight, gone. <laughs> and that's why you've just got to be careful, haven't you, around how much revenue you hold, how much cash you've got on hand at any point, point in time. And the thing that, Again, even from an accountancy point of view, every part of our business is now outsourced. Marketing's outsourced, finance is outsourced. They've got an outsourced FD arrangement. And right. some of the things that they teach you without even trying to teach you is just around how much cash you need, where your numbers are going to be in three to six months. And, you know, I've never had that in terms of a formula of where we're heading as a business from a revenue perspective. So I think. Um, it's good to put trusted advisors around you in all areas, isn't it? Training, marketing, finance, sales, you'd hope that we're good enough at sales to, to make that work. But the rest, you need to make sure you've got total right. experts around you. Well, I guess the core of what you guys do is sales and recruiting, right? So that's what you need to do in-house. But then the yeah. other elements, which you don't like you need to understand, but you don't need to personally do marketing, training, um, you know, technology. There's, you can outsource those things, which are not central to the, what you actually deliver, right? Absolutely. Yeah, um, absolutely. James, listen, I could talk to you all day. I feel like we're only scratching the surface, but there's been so much value there. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it for, you know, coming here and, and just 
really being so open about what what has worked for you as well as you know what the challenges have been i i really appreciate it yeah thank you very much mark awesome so listen uh just before we go uh if people want to reach out to you um and learn more about anderson james then obviously they can go to your website uh they can find you on on linkedin um Mm -hmm. do you want to just share the url we'll have it in the show notes but for people who are listening only and aren't reading what's the website Uh, so it's www.andersonjames.com fantastic all right well thank you and and let's do this again it was a lot of fun yeah thanks mark thank you so much for listening to the resilient recruiter if you've enjoyed the show the best way you can show your support is to click that subscribe button thanks again and i'll see you next time